He's a nine-time Bassmaster Classic qualifier, a three-time Bassmaster winner, a three-time TTBC champion, hot off a win at the Bassmaster Opens. Keith Combs joins me this week on... I'm Bob Cobb from the Bassmaster. Welcome to Mercer. Well, here we go again. Welcome one, welcome all, friends, family, freeloaders, fishing freaks. You're all welcome here at the Awkwardly Honest Fishing Podcast that goes by my last name, which is Mercer. Happy Hump Day. Hope you're having a great week. It is November 16th, hard to believe. November 16th, also, of course, the 320th day of the year. So I hope you're having a great week and an even better year. And I thank you for everything. I mean, this show, this channel continues to grow. You guys are awesome. 174,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel. So if you haven't already, go over there and subscribe. Because at some point, I'll actually stop asking you guys to subscribe. But it's not my fault. I have to now. Speaking of good weeks... There's three anglers individually that had an incredible week last week. Last week was the Bass Nation National Champion, Chip, which was on Pickwick Lake. And I want to congratulate the Bass Nation National Champion, Will Davis Jr. And also going to the Bassmaster Classic, top three make it to the Bassmaster Classic, Will Diefenbach and Jonathan Dites. So, so congratulations to all of you. I look forward to seeing you at the Bassmaster Classic. Um, I partially said this so that I could congratulate you guys. And the other part is to let you know, let me know if I'm saying your name wrong before we get to the Bassmaster Classic. Um, and I'm sure you will, or your friends and family. So congratulations to all of you. Congratulations uh, to everyone that made it to the Bass Nation National Championship. It is uh, one of the coolest events Bass does all year. And um, uh, it's one of my favorites. I found myself watching and and the coverage quite a bit and um i can't wait to see how it works out for you three guys at the classic and um for our bass nation national champion will davis jr i look forward to hanging with you on the Bassmaster elite series next year because that's one of the perks and then second and third they get um entries or some set up into the open so um i hope that uh first of all just congratulations and uh I look forward to seeing the classic, and I hope all works out good. Congratulations to everyone that made it to that event. Um, this week's pod pick cast is going to be uh, a fun one. First of all, I have to apologize. We have some connection issues, um, but I've wanted to have Keith Combs on here for so long because Keith Combs is honestly one of the most entertaining dudes to hang out with while he's launching his boat in the morning, to just have a quick conversation with. Um, but a lot of times I don't feel like people get to see that. And hopefully you get to see a little bit of that on this podcast. I mean, I will tell you this, spoiler alert, stick to the very end because he does one of the most incredible impersonations in the history of our sport. It's one of my favorite things to get Keith to do, and I can't believe I actually convinced him to do it on this podcast. So fight through some of our connection issues, if you will, and I think you guys are about to see a different side of Keith Combs than, than maybe you've ever seen in the past because uh, he is not only 
a nine-time classic qualifier and all the accolades that go with that. He's not only a three-time winner at best, not only a three-time TTBC champion. He's one of the most entertaining dudes out there. And um, I hope this week's show gives you just a, a taste of, of the Keith Combs that a lot of us are lucky enough to see. And um, I thank him for joining me right hot off a of victory in the Bassmaster Opens and uh, in the middle of hunting season. Without further ado, Keith Combs. Keith Combs, last time I saw you was in La Crosse, Wisconsin. And um, you told me you were going to try to win those last two. But, uh, I mean, I guess I just didn't take you serious enough. Lo and behold, you're a Bassmaster Classic qualifier. Congratulations. Oh, thank you, Dave. Yeah, it's a big relief to, um, to finish up the season on a high note and make that classic. So that's nine classics this time. What 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 what's different about what will be different about this classic than your first classic? Well, the first the first classic, you're just a, trying to keep up with things. I, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I had fished a lot of tournaments before I made a classic, but it just seems like, and I actually my first classic was um, on the Louisiana Delta, New Orleans, and it was a good tournament for me, but there there's a lot of distractions in a first classic i mean it's just i don't care I, it, somebody tells you that they didn't have that feeling i i disagree because it's just a big week and you're just trying to you're just trying to be at the right place at the right time is on the off the water stuff honestly you know and really just to win a classic you better be focused on the water yeah yeah no you hear everybody say oh it's just another tournament and then I literally have yet to find a person that after they fish it says that again, like going up to it, you may say those kind of things to keep yourself calm. But when you, it's just a, such a bizarrity that that many people show up to watch you guys literally idle away from a dock. It's, 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 it's almost humbling. Like, you know what I mean? Like when I drive to the classic every year, I honestly think nobody's ever going to show up. I'm like, this is the year that nobody's going to come. But, and then you see the, the, the throngs of people and you're like, wow, this is this freaking Bassmaster classic. Yeah, that it, it really is humbling. I remember the one at Hartwell that time where it was seven or 10 degrees or whatever it was yeah. to take off. And a big crowd was there to watch it. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's one you want to be on your on your best at because all eyes are, you know, they're on you that week. So I'm just proud to make it. And, um, you know, definitely looking forward to, uh, being, being back in it. All right. Well, let's, let's go way back. Cause I, I feel like we've hung around each other at some really cool moments, especially in your life. Uh, <laughs> and in my life too, there are cool moments for me just didn't pay quite as well. Um, but I, I don't know much about your history. When did you fish your first tournament? Um, I fished my first tournament at uh, 13 years old, and um, that was just a local Wednesday night tournament. And you know, didn't didn't know really anything about. I I fished all my life up to that point, but didn't know anything about tournament fishing. And from that moment on, I just man, I just became immersed in tournament fishing. I mean, it, I was hooked from that first event. How did you do? 
somehow we, we won the tournament. I mean, you talk about dumb luck. I mean, it was, it was, yeah, we were fishing. Um, we were fishing for, for hybrid stripers on a local lake and started catching bass a few days that week and decided to sign up for this tournament. And we showed up to our spot. We won, we won the tournament. I don't know. It just happened, but it was, it was just cool to, I, if we hadn't won, it wouldn't have changed anything. I mean, I was like, this is, this is what I want to do. This is, this is awesome. I mean, so that was really the point in my life where um, I, I knew what I wanted to do as a profession because I didn't even know the tournament until we fished that little tournament. I didn't, I knew that there was tournaments, but I didn't know, honestly, I didn't know there were guys out there making a living doing that. So that, that literally that first tournament was when you decided that screw all this other stuff. I'm going to figure out a way to do this. Well, yeah. I mean, at 13, you know, you're, you're probably really not thinking about what you're going to do as far as, you know, for the rest of your life, making a living. Um, but, but I knew, I mean, I mean, we fished that tournament and then it was just, just all in as much information as I could get on tournament fishing. That's, all I wanted to hear about. So what was the reaction from the people around you? Like, did you tell people like after that, that like, I'm going to fish for a living or when, what age were you when you started publicizing your dream to your family and friends? Yeah. Right then, right then. And, and and for the most part, um, (laughs) I, I mean, most people were probably like I was before I started studying tournament fishing. They, they really didn't know that that was something you could, you could do. And, and, you know, if it worked out, you can make a living doing that. I mean, it's just, there's so much more exposure to the sport nowadays um, that I think people, some people are still very shocked that that's what I do at this day and age for a living, but a lot more people have, have seen it. Um, but at that time it was like, for the most part, you're crazy. That's not going to work out too good, but Hey, somehow I did. It's weird. I always wonder because I think um, you look at tournament fishing in the last number of years, it's crazy how it's changed. Like there's a lot more kids in school saying that I'm going to be a professional angler when I grow up than there was when you were a kid. So in some ways it might've been easier because there was less competition. Now there's more competition. Like who has it easier? I don't know. The, the ones that have it so embraced, you know what I mean? Now you can go to college as a tournament angler or or the weirdos like you and me and a bunch of other people that grew up at a time where people laughed at you when you said you were going to do this. Well, I think it's way easier nowadays. I, I see what your, your point is about, you know, competition. And, and that's, that's a big factor because, you know, there's only so many um, sponsors and, and those are so important, but um, so j- just for example, I mean, at 13 years old, I said, this is what I want to do, but, financially uh i couldn't make that happen until i was 30 32 so it took it took me that long to figure a path to be fishing professional tournaments so nowadays um i think a kid at that age he's in you know in high school um just starting high school just he gets he gets the bug just like i did but then he can you know look online and all the information's there. There's more people to talk to, like a high school fishing team um, that 
that understand the, you know, the, the path that he's trying to go down and give him encouragement. So yeah, this day and age, and that's why, and that's why we're seeing so many, you know, Andrews it, it, in their twenties, um, being able to get involved in the sport just because the, the path is so much more defined. Yeah. And I think they just have so much more experience there. You, you know, like it's, it's literally, if you compare it to other sports, it's like all of a sudden there's football in high school. Could you imagine like if you literally had to learn football just on your own, you know, there was no football in your grade school, no football in your high school or insert whatever sport you want. Like, I mean, that's literally how far behind fishing is when you compare it to other things. Um, so I just think that they, they, they're more educated. They're just tested. Um, and they've also had pressure. You know what I mean? They've, they've fished events that they are this close to making the classic and stuff like that. Um, did you have an aha moment in your life though? Like where you were like, uh, I'm gonna do, like, you always wanted to do it, but do you have a moment where you, I'm sure everybody, when they start fishing, they're like, but can I, you know, did you have a moment? Was there a moment where you were like, man, I can hang with these guys. Oh, absolutely. And that was a big concern. Uh, I, I remember, you know, I, I remember vividly back 15 years back being at my job and saying, man, I don't know if I can, I better leave here on really good terms because I might be back in a year or two. Because um, that, that was what I would have to do if I didn't, if I didn't get out there and catch him. I'm, I'm coming right back to work. Um, so, yeah, I was, it was very concerning. And I remember it was my first, um, my first season on the FLW tour. I, I financially, I made, I had a good job back then, but I made more yeah. fishing and guiding um, than I could have at work. And that was looking back on that year. It was up and down. I had, I mean, there were big fields in FLW back then, um, and I remember being in the one nineties a couple of times. But I also had a couple of top tens, even on places like I went to. Uh, had one in Florida. Had one on Erie, made, you know, made top tens at those places. I just said, I got to get more consistent. But, I, you know, I'll be I, I, looking back, it's amazing that I survived because my first season I had, this is no lie, I didn't have anything lighter than 20-pound line in my boat. Didn't have it. I mean, it was a handful of baits, didn't have a lot of equipment. And, you know, when it lined up, it worked. But, um uh, you know, I, I had a lot to learn at that day and age. You took Texas to the nationals. I mean, basically every, every way you'd fished at home, basically, I assume. That's, that's all I knew. And if it didn't work, um, uh, I mean, I can remember, I can remember feeling like, man, I'm not prepared. Like I said, I had one of those 190th place finishes on Lake Norman and I'm, it's a sight fishing thing, but here, you know, it means it's find him, get, get the big one to bite on power fishing stuff and move on to the next one. And there, I mean, they're just like clear water. They were just looking at my line <laughs> instead of my bait probably. And I'm like, they're like, who is this? Where's this guy from? I don't know. This, this isn't right. But you know, you, you learn, you learn fast and uh, you better learn fast. <laughs> you're going to be, you're going to be out. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's what college fishing takes away. It knocks the 20 pound test out of everybody's boat. I mean, all of a sudden they go to a bunch because had you fished outside of Texas really 
you know, at that point when you first jumped into it, how much time had you spent outside of Texas? Um, I don't think any, <laughs> or, or maybe, yeah, maybe a tournament on the Red River or, um, yeah, a handful. Of, I, I probably fished a couple in Oklahoma, Arkansas, and, uh, you know, just championships and things like that. But there you can take your, you, you know, you can still take your strengths. Um, but I've learned to be a little bit more uh, adaptable, you know, this day and age. And, and I really think another thing that really decreases that learning curve is, is Bass Life. I mean, that yeah. is yeah, – I, I mean, if you want a tournament – Back then, you 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 took the money and you still had all your secrets to move on to the next one. Now, um, you know, that's it's kind of like you won and you got the money, but your secrets are gone. Sold your secrets <laughs> on Bass Live. It, it, it. But you know the other thing about that is you can learn from everybody else too. So you you're giving a little, but you can't be too mad at Bass Live because you're learning. You know you should be watching and learning too. Yeah, no, I still remember the first day that it went live, and we all didn't know that it would even work. And I remember Zona and me and Tommy and KVD was actually one of the color commentators at that tournament that we were using. And I just remember like the shock and all, like it was like, we knew we were going to do Bass Live, but we never realized all of the pieces that were going to be consumed. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I remember watching, it was Hartwell. And I remember watching um, Rojas led day one. And I'm like literally watching how much he's shaking his bait and everything. And it's like, they used to know what bait you might be throwing from a picture or whatever, but now they're literally getting a blueprint to everything you're doing. Um, as an angler, Fast Live a good thing or a bad thing? No, it's it's a good thing. Uh, it's it's a it's a good thing, and um, you know I think that's what it's that kind of stuff. You know, a few minutes ago we talked about college fishing and high school fishing, but it's that part of the puzzle that makes younger generation want to get involved they see that they're like that's for me um so yeah it's very important i used to hear all these legendary stories about you as being this ridiculous hours of time on the water like at, at one point are all those tales and everything that you hear about you true or were those just like ways for veterans to tell me that they did that's why you beat them at events because <laughs> i used to literally hear all these stories about combs like lit when you were living down you know down on amistad and living down on falcon and stuff like that like late late days you know you were always working is is that are those true those are true those are true I'm, i mean like i said my for me getting an opportunity to um make a living tournament fishing it was a one-shot deal in my mind uh, you know I, I had enough money saved to make it through a couple of seasons um, i moved to south texas hooked up with uh, you know some some guides down there and started taking some of their overflow um but it like i said i it, the way i was viewing it this is your one chance to get to go do what you want to do so i moved down there i mean i put uh, my house on the market for rent moved down there with, with basically nothing just my fishing equipment and a bed I had a rented a one-bedroom condo 
close to the boat ramp. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I would take customers out and um, we would, it was basically like, if, if we come in at three, I would go back out and just, just learn stuff. You know, I had a lot to learn <laughs> and, you know, I can, I can remember like saying, well, yeah, you need to learn how to use a spinner rod or right line or something like that. And Amstead was the perfect place to go do that because it was, it was so easy to get bit on. So yeah, it basically every daylight minute that I could spend on the water, I was there, you know? So I, Hey, I didn't, I set myself up to have to do that. Like I said, basically, I moved down there. I didn't have a TV in my house for four years, nothing. So there's no reason to be at home. It, it, all my, I, everything I had was on the water. So that's where I spent all my time. And and that and, doesn't sound as shocking to people today, just because a lot of people don't have TVs. People stream things, but 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 you weren't streaming nothing. You were, you know that that was back when everybody had a TV doesn't matter if you know where you're living. Um, and I also think that's one of the things with college, dude, I think that's where they have a huge advantage because they're all working together, but they're working together at that time. You know what I mean? Like you can only keep that pace up for so long. It doesn't matter what your job is. You know what I mean? Like you, I mean, you have to believe that like today you you're not spending near the amount of hours that you used to spend on the water. Are you? No, no, there's just a lot more other things. I mean, I get to do a few other things that, you know, I missed doing for 20 years. Yeah. Um, like hunting, hunting and things like that that I love to do or sponsor obligations, things like that. So I still spend a lot of time on the water and I, you know, I make myself fish um, just about any tournament that I can get my hands on around Rayburn or this area just to, just to make sure I'm staying very sharp for the elite series. But yeah, you, you know, that's a pace that I, I mean, you wouldn't want to keep up for your whole life because that that's, that's it. I mean, you're, you're fishing and that's, that's all, you, that's all you're doing. So, um, but, but for, yeah, my first eight or 10 years, uh, that, that was it. Just totally focused on learning more about catching fish and um, you get, and you learn stuff and you get set in your ways too on, on things too, because you've done it so much and so many days on the water that's worked for you. Um, sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a bad thing. So are you speaking from experience about being too set in your ways in some certain occasions or. Yeah, well, it, it, it can hurt your consistency. Uh, it's not going to hurt your ability to win them uh, because that's, that's really what you're looking for. Uh, a lot of times is, you're you're going to take something that uh, a technique or something like that that's really not working that well and make it work and, and you might be the only guy out there doing that so yeah i think being stubborn is if you if you analyze tournaments which i know you have and do um being stubborn is, is not bad as far as trying to go out and knock one out the park uh, but uh or put yourself in a top 10 position, but being stubborn is uh, definitely not the, the, I would say not the attitude I had six or 10 or 12, 12 years ago. Then it, it, it's just about go, go catch what you, go catch the most you can that day. And now I'm in a position where I feel like I can be a little more stubborn. 
Yeah. I mean, and I think it's like every sport. Um, it gets judged by the result. If somebody's stubborn and they catch nothing all day and then they catch the five right fish with 30 minutes left to go, they are a freaking genius. If those fish happen to bite 30 minutes after you left, hey, you're an idiot. Why didn't you adjust? You know what I mean? It's it's the sad truth of sports and and um and fishing's even more cruel and weird just because you, you you know what i mean like you're you're dealing with something that you can't see like how insane does it has it driven you at times like i would imagine i mean it'd be like literally me I, when i compare my job to your job it'd be like me doing my job except i had to guess who was next <laughs> and just through patterns i'm assuming that keep oh i introduced you wrong it's really whoever brandon Polnick. <laughs> um like it really must drive you insane at times because it feels like the harder you want it, the worse it seems to happen in some situations. Does that make sense to you? Oh yes, absolutely. It does. And, I, and that's one thing that I, I think um, turn, you have to fish tournaments to really understand, or you have to bass fish a, a lot to understand how the smallest little thing can impact your whole tournament. I mean, from, from it could be a glitch in your electronics that day that cost you 20 minutes of fishing time, or it could be, it could be your boat draw. I mean, something like that, or just you misread, you know, you misread the weather. I did that um, a, a couple times this year. We, we had such volatile conditions at the beginning of the season. And, you know, I'm, I'm watching the weather and trying to make educated guesses on Santee Cooper about what's going to happen. And, and I felt like I did. And then we had a lot of rain that just pushed a little bit of cold river water into a, a key area for me. And I was committed. It was away from everything else I had and, you know, over in Marion and I was stuck there the first day, caught 11 pounds, you know, but it's, it's little things like that, that, Sometimes you guess right, sometimes you guess wrong, but if you make a little mistake, it's very hard to recover on the Elite Series. Okay, take me back to those times when you had no TV. What is the, if, if you had to tell a story about the hardest you worked to make it in this sport, like aside from having no TV, what would explain to me your life in those times? Well, I mean, even, even before I was full time, um, pro like the first this is, seems nuts but um so i worked um a job in a machine shop and it was a good job i liked the job and i had time to fish um they worked with me on that so there was an flw series on lake okeechobee i've never been to okeechobee and i left i got off work on a friday about I was supposed to get off at noon or something like that and hit the road. Had some meetings. Anyway, don't leave until 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Drive all night. I'm, I'm on Okeechobee the next day. This is for practice. So I got I left on a Friday from Texas, drove to Okeechobee, got there midday Saturday, got a few bites, and uh, I'll be coming back on Sunday. So – yeah, I drove to Florida for just, I mean, it was a little window of opportunity. Drove, drove more than I fished just to see that place before the off limits. So that was just, it seemed like a good idea at the time. And I did, I had a third place 
third place finish that week on Okeechobee in, in my first crack at Florida. So it was wow. a good call looking back. You tell people that they're going to be like, you're an idiot. But, uh, you know, it, it made sense to me at the time. How long of a drive is that from, from Texas to Okeechobee? It was, I was, I was in central Texas at the time. So it's about a 16 or 17 hour drive. <laughs> a quick 16 hour drive. And so how many hours did you fish? You think? I got there on that Saturday and fish till, um, you know, fish, fish all day on Saturday till dark and a little bit on Sunday morning before I had to get back <laughs> on the road and be back at first thing Monday morning. <laughs> what was your job? So we, uh, I worked at a, a company that made hydraulic cylinders for, you know, various, mostly road construction equipment, things like that. And um, I had, at the time I was a supervisor there. Um, but yeah, right out of school, I started the machine shop job and it was, it was good because they were, they were, they knew I was there to eventually go fishing. So they kind of followed it and had everything and worked with me on, getting off um, enough to hit at least a local tournament scene. And we did that hard for, from the, like I, said, I mean, for about 10, 15 years, it was, if there was a tournament in the state of Texas on a Saturday, we were there and, you know, it might be East Texas and Sunday we were in South Texas fishing another one. So I got a lot of uh, on the water time just because of where I live. And we have so many tournaments down here. One of the things that a lot of people say, um, and I, and I think I totally agree that that one of the mistakes in this sport is people will jump levels. You know what I mean? They'll they'll have a good run in the elites or in the opens up till this you know this coming year you have to fish all nine, but they fish three opens, do well, qualify for the elite series, and they fish. And then you talk to people from their local area, and they're like, "Yeah, I I don't even know that that angle." Or not that that's anything wrong with them, but it just shows you that. Day in, day out, the guys who dominate at their local area have a lot better shot of hanging at the Elite Series. But this is a sport where you can jump levels, unlike baseball or football or anything like that. How important is that in your mind? Well, yes, and I've seen that in the Open sometimes. You know, I, I keep up with uh, with really all things bass fishing. So um, I, I've seen certain schedules. Like a few years ago, we had one that it was – um, like a northern that might be Oneida, um, Thousand Islands, Cayuga, something like that. So it's, it's a lot of good fishing up there, but really regional. So if a guy's yeah. really good in that area, he's going to make it. Or, you know, there was one where it was just like a, a Red River, Atchafalaya Basin, and Toledo Bend. So guys in that region that really know those places, they're, they're going to make the elites. Um, but for the most part, it, it's been spread out enough to, I, I think, I think maybe once in a while, there's somebody who gets in through the opens and they, they're a little overwhelmed for whatever reason. I mean, it could be, you got to be all in once yeah. you're on the elite series. If you're, if you're trying to run, if you're, if you're trying to run a business and your time is split in practice, making phone calls and trying to find bass, I, man, I, I can't imagine trying to do that because I feel like you have to be so focused. Um, that's all you can think about is finding that, finding that pattern. 
One of the things that we've got to share uh, a lot of history together is the TTBC, the Toyota Texas Bass Classic, as some people used to call it, the Keith Combs Benefit Tournament. I mean, you won three of them and uh, had an incredible run. But, I mean, that event, how important was that event in building the legend that is Keith Combs? Those were huge for me. Um, You know, that that financially uh to get get you going the right direction that was a big payday big payday with no entry fee so those those were really set up uh those were great tournaments but um yeah just i feel like they're they were very high profile events too not not to classic level but they were i mean you had yeah. uh you had a stellar floor. yeah and it also it, it pitted the uh back then like the flw tour paa in the the elite series kind of against each other made a great storyline there so people were watching watch keeping up with the ttbc's just to because there's always that debate well flw2 guys are the best fishermen now the elite guys are the best fishermen so it kind of you know i think it had that in it but um yeah those were those were good events for me and uh you know we it just hasn't been i mean i'm I've had, we've had some tournaments on Toledo Bend, uh, you know, Rayburn, Falcon, places that I was real familiar with, but um, those those tournaments set up really good in my wheelhouse. Uh, Like I said, we, they're in the fall and I grew up fishing every year to make it to fall championships to go try to win, win boats and big prizes. Those were time events where it, it felt like it was the same kind of vibe you know, it's those big team championships we grew up fishing. Um, going to go fish for a lot of money, and you're going to go catch six or seven bass. That's the goal. If you're catching more than that, it's a waste of time, you know. So um, fishing for big ones all day long. You caught some big ones. Uh, you, you had a pretty good run. Um, two wins in Conroe, right, and one in Fork. I think people, for, I think, people think it was all Fork. Um, and the weird thing is, you know, every time you talk about different leagues nowadays, there's people who will, they'll make comments like, you know what you should put, they should all come together and have a championship. And I'm like, yeah, that happened. It happened for 10 years. Um, and it still didn't settle anything. Everybody still argued that this person or that person was better, or they didn't really want to focus on it. They were into hunting at that. I mean, there was just every story, but what are the most storied events was your fish off with Mike Iconelli. And the ironic and weird thing is, dude, I don't think we've ever talked about it. Me and you, like after, I mean, that all went, it was just so weird. Like you both came up on the stage. I think you both kind of felt like you, you either want you know, you're about to win this tournament and it was a tie. And I wish that happened. Like, I mean, I wish the technology was what it was today you know what i mean because the, you guys just kind of went out in the water and they made a bit of a tv show with it but it would have been so incredible to be able to watch that all go down live but you were in a sudden death fish off how does that feel like what tell, take me through like when you first heard about it on stage and what that whole process was like to be the angler in it well le- leading up to that fish off um I mean, I, I felt like if you, so like the first day I, I had 28 pounds on Conroe in the fall. 
uh, uh, Lake Conroe that's fishing very tough, you know, and, and took a lead. And then the next day I went out there and, and I know I caught them really good that day too. And there was a couple other bags around 20 pounds. The second day I went out and I, I think I caught five bass. The first day I might've caught six. The next day I caught five bass. And I remember late in the day um, catching a seven pounder and, and uh, you could listen to it on your, in that tournament, if you wanted to, you could listen to it on your, your radio. On the radio. Your phone. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, you could keep up with what other anglers were doing. I didn't do that, but I caught my last seven or eight pounder and, and Randy Howell was fishing down the bank and he said, you're catching them again today, huh? I said, man, I, yeah. Cause that gave me another 26 or 27 pound bag. So he said, he said, your little buddy's catching them too. So don't let up. And he's, you know, he's talking about Mike. Uh, so I'm like, gosh, man. I, I mean, cause when I put that fish in the boat, I was like, that's it. I mean, I'm going to go out tomorrow and be able to fish for 10 pounds. Well, Mike didn't let that happen. He caught him. He brought it again. And I think I went out with a little lead uh, going into the third day. To put it into perspective, we were in a fish-off tied at like 75 or 78 pounds or something like that. And third, and the next guy was, I think it was Odd Defoe. And I think Odd had like less than 50. So we we tied, we gotta go fish for one fish for a hundred and fifty thousand dollar prize, and either one of us should have won that thing. I think I, I'm sure I bet he was feeling the same way I was. It was feeling like this is just doesn't make sense. How do we both catch these tremendous bags, <laughs> and now this is gonna win this thing, you know? And but anyway, we're on stage. I had heard some chatter backstage that y'all are tied because the weights were recorded. We weighed yeah. them on the boat. So they, everybody else knew. Um, and I'm like, surely not. Yeah, surely not. Well, it was it was a tie. Term director says, you, you, you were the term director, and you're the one who announced that, hey, I I wasn't the tournament the, director, I was just uh, the announcer. You're the MVP, Dave. So you oh, said, uh you know what the rule is? Neither of us knew the rule. And you said, we're going to have to go back out for a fish off. And I'm like, holy crap, what's this What's this going to be like? Fish tail dark, whoever catches the first keeper wins. And uh, I remember there were me and, me and Mike were backing down the ramp side by side. And I look, I look at his boat, and he's got like 60 rods, little everything crankbaits jigs finesse baits i got a crankbait and a jig and literally nothing else in my boat you know like i said i was all in on trying to catch five big ones and now we got to go catch the first two pounder yes i'm thinking man i'm gonna lose this thing i'm totally not prepared for this but here we go he peels off like on the dam throwing a a finesse worm and i'm i'm running you know brush piles for for seven pounders and Somehow I got one before he did, but stressful. My gosh, that was stressful. Yeah. Well, I remember the feeling too. And I had to believe you had that feeling too. Like I get that time is probably the worst due to a one fish fish off. You know what I mean? Like he, it's still today. You know what I mean? If you literally need, just need to catch fish quick. He is one of those dudes who is willing to do that. And the, I remember being on shore 
and hearing, oh, Keith's gone back to where he's been catching him. And everyone was like, well, what is he? Ike's going to get one. But I also remember, I don't know how long it was, but I remember it was a, it was a while because I remember like, like we were lit, so weird that now we can just pick up our phone and watch it all go down. But back then we were all huddled around these radios waiting for somebody and they check with the judges and they're like, yeah, no, nothing yet. How long did it last? I'd say we got back out there around 4.30 or 5 o'clock, got to fishing immediately, and it was it was going to be till dark. If nobody called one before dark, we're going to go back the next morning. And, and I'm running around, you know, hitting these brush piles and, and hard spots and things to catch a big one. And I I think we've probably been fishing an hour and a half or so, and it's getting, it's getting late. It's getting dark. And I'm thinking, man, he's going to catch one any time. I was so intense. I remember hooking fish and just reeling as fast as I could to get that thing in the boat because I was scared the phone was going to ring. And he got one quicker than I did. And I, I flipped the fish in the boat and I'm like, it was, I, I could tell it was a keeper. I could tell it was probably a 16 inch fish. I remember just telling my judge, man, get, check it quick, check it quick, you know, because I didn't want the phone to ring. And he's calling, I got him calling while he's measuring. And uh, I'm, tournament director says you won i'm like and i got a death grip on this fish i'm like i'm not letting him go you tell me this this is it right i, I remember asking uh, randy nice like and that's it right i could throw it back or what do i do is there but gosh that's probably the most stressful format you could put two guys through yeah yeah it, it i would I mean, I know it's stressful and painful, but gosh, I would love to see it happen live. You know what I mean? Like then that is, I, I believe that's our rule now in the elite series. Like it's a sudden death fish off if, if there's a tie and it'll be live. And I mean, that's the kind of, that's, that's magic because you, you couldn't turn it off. Cause you're like, if it's, you get three hours and the best limit that comes back in three hours of the biggest fish or whatever i mean you can check in with that but if it's sudden death that feeling you're feeling on every cast that's what the viewer would be feeling and um and obviously the video of ike's reaction is out there uh, it's, it may have got more plays yeah. than your reaction um, but i've always heard yeah. and i've never confirmed this with ike but I, I i feel like it's probably true um <laughs> and I will confirm it with Ike, but I'd always heard that like, so he smashes his rod off thing and then he goes to throw it, but he realizes his crankbait still connected. So he has to cut the line and he fires his rod, part of his rod in the water. But I've always heard that some dude got said rod and brought it to the, waited for him at the dock to sign when he came in. Cause, cause he didn't come in right away. He stayed out in the water for a while, having some aquatic therapy, I believe. I believe he did. I believe he did. And I can totally understand because like I said, we both of us should have won that tournament, but yeah, I've, I've heard the same thing. I think, I think he <laughs> threw his rod up on the back of the went and got it, got it autographed. Yeah. Maybe he's listened to the best and he'll send us a picture of that, that <laughs> sign, sign rod. Pretty cool. But uh, I can't believe, I mean, Hey, he's a, uh, Mike's pretty emotional all the time type of guy. So especially on the water, but I can understand. I mean, man, it, just think about that. It, it, 
like we both are leading by this tremendous amount. We both should have won. And now it comes down to who catches the first stinking fish. I mean, that's it's a pressure cooker on the on the elite series. But I mean, really, how many times have you ever seen that happen where a guy is 28 pounds over the next guy? No, it just it doesn't happen often. (laughs) It doesn't, it doesn't ever happen. No, (laughs) no, it's a cool tournament. And then the the buildup, I believe the year previous, Ike was second as well. So it was even more. And he had had a second in the classic. And it was, um, was a lot of pressure at that event. Um, but uh, you you made it back and won the event and uh, made it back before. I remember there was a big like, is he going to be back before the Robert Earl King concert is over? I think that is that who was playing that night. Do you remember? Yeah, it, it, was. it was. Yeah, yeah, because he he waited he to sing it. Five Pound Bass, <laughs> right. uh, which is awesome. Good time. Yeah, gosh, man, I'm thinking back of remembering that event uh, that was it was a big week for me i mean i um won a you know won a, a big tournament i think i'd won a paa the week or the the fall or something before or a few months before that or maybe the year before so i'd want something that was as far as competition wise was really substantial in my mind but uh that one there really kind of helped me get get you know some mo- momentum under me uh and some sponsors um so that was a man that was a big week for me yeah it, it was uh it, those tournaments were so much fun I, I feel like in a lot of ways they were ahead of their time you know like if we did it again today with with the technology and everything it would probably be you know even cooler but um those were some incredible events so for those of you wanting the world championship of fishing um it's happened and it it, it didn't settle anything it turns out uh, people still argued whether uh, that's the weird thing about all the change with MLF. It's like, this isn't new. This is, this happened before, like a bunch of dudes left to go to FLW. And I mean, not the mass exodus that happened, you know, a few years ago, but I mean, that argument, I don't think that argument will ever go away. Will it? I mean, there's always going to be circuits and there's always going to be one that thinks they're better than the other. Yeah. Yeah. And in the end, it really doesn't even matter, you know, but uh, yeah, that, that used to be a big, a big debate because, um, you know, I, before I was part of it, I remember thinking the, the same, same thing because I was really deciding on which direction I wanted to go. Um, but yeah, I, and they've, they've had such a contrasting format. Um, it, it's just been a different kind of character for the last few years, but yeah, like you say, it's, 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 I think there's so many, only so many ways to go have a bass tournament. And uh, for guys that have been in the game for a long time, it's, it's not a lot of new stuff you're seeing. It's just trying it in a different era, um, we, you know, with different technologies and things like that. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely an interesting dynamic, but yeah, you're really debating on this group is better than this group. Yeah, it's not really worth the time, but it was no. a cool tournament. I think we should have them again right here in East Texas. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm sure you do believe we should have them again. <laughs> and I agree. I'd love to see that kind of deal happen again um, down the road. What, uh, what's the most important trait to be a successful tournament angler in your mind? Like if you, if you were weird science, you're designing 
a future Bassmaster Classic champion, what is the first trait you embed in that person? Doesn't have to be your traits. Just in your if you're if you're making a stone cold killer on the Elite Series, what's the first trait you would make sure that that person has? Mm, man, what a what a question! You should have went over that before we started. Uh, <laughs> gosh, there's a, there's a lot. I mean, you. Uh, I believe to to win to win them, you you really have to play to your strengths. A lot of times, I I believe that. I mean, um, so I I wouldn't I would definitely not say versatility is a trait of a winner. Maybe a AOI type situation. But you know, you're asking about a Bassmaster Classic winner, right? Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I hadn't won it, so I don't know if I, but I would. I would definitely say just focus. Focus has got to be the the key thing because looking back uh, over all the classics that I've been a part of or kept up with, it's um, hardly anybody leads the the whole thing from day to day. It's it's swapping every day, and um, every classic there's. It's going to be close weights just because the, the way it sets up, it's going to be close weights. So think about how many guys have lose the classic every single time it rolls around two or three or four guys, they lose it. Um, one guy can keep it together. Yeah, you know, he, he catches everything that bites him. Um, he's making the adjustments that he needs to, because he's, he's thinking this thing through, you know, he's not getting caught up in, you know, some camera guy saying, hey, hold, hold it up. No, he's putting it in the well and he's casting again. So it's, I'd say focus has got to be your your number one thing to, to, to win them. Why, why do you think we don't see people go wire to wire a lot at the Classic? Is it just the media pressure and everything? Or or, or is it, why do you think it's, it's less likely than what you even see in an Elite Series? I mean, I know it only happens once a year. But it doesn't happen a lot at the classic where they go wire to wire, especially in the last ten years. Right, the, this the season, you know that 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 pre spawn wintertime type of season, um, you'll have, and and somebody is just going to go. So if they, I think you just, I, I don't know. In, in the classic, you just some sometimes you just want to feel like, man, I want to just. I just want to make a good showing here and you go out the first day and everything falls into place, but a few guys are going to be, they're going to have a good game plan and they're going to be consistent. You know, maybe somebody goes out and throws down 20 the first day, but there's, there's that one or two guys that are there. They're on that, that 15 to 17 and, you know, they do their, their thing the first day and they, they do a good job of learning uh, from the, from each day to, to make those little adjustments, um, you know, on, on the, the second day. Um, I think, I think season is a big part there because we, we have, you know, and we're going to see it again in Knoxville. We're, we're, we're probably not going to have consistency throughout that tournament. We're going to have, a, we're going to have a cold front to deal with. I can almost guarantee you that. Um, we're probably going to have a lot of river flow changes throughout the event. Who knows what, so I think because we're in that pre-spawn time where we, you know, yeah. we used to be, um, 
it used to be in the fall where, where things are consistent. A guy can grab a big lead and carry that through. But we really haven't been on a lot of fisheries for the classic lately where you could do that either. You know, like a Hartwell, you're not going to catch 25 pounds and just ride that to to the to the win. Um, yeah. Or Knoxville. I feel like you're a good pick going into Knoxville. I feel like you may fly under the radar and you might not want anyone to pick you, but I think you did pretty good there last time we were there. Didn't you? I did. I, I, uh, man, the first, the first few times I went there and fished the FLW two, it was, that was my least favorite lake, but I still caught them. I, I just didn't like, I just didn't like it, but over the years, it's been a good place for me. Uh, never really been in contention to, to win one. Um, but I was learning as I went along in that last elite and actually lost about a four pound fish that kept me j just out of the top 10 in, in that one. But um, I like it. Um, I, I feel like it's a type of place that I understand a little bit more about than a Hartwell or something like that. It'll be exciting. It'll be, it'll be exciting. It, um, I, I think it's the perfect classic city. I mean, but I just think that the fishing is, is tough. You know what I mean? It's not going to be easy, but that also, to me, that's part of the classic, you know what I mean? It, or it has become part of the classic. And that, like you said, time of year, what, what would a Keith Combs classic victory look like in your head? Have you, have you, I mean, you have to have thought about it, visualized it. No. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot, a lot, actually. It'd be crazy not to, you know, you gotta, yeah. you gotta have something to keep you going, keep you dry. Uh, man, I, I like to just, it'd probably be pretty low key uh, when do everything on the stage and then just, man, just, just go chill. I, I don't think I want to go have no big party or nothing like that. I mean, I'm, I'm not that kind of guy, but, uh, but yeah, I, I would just, Ooh. I just want to soak, soak that in, you know, man, just win it and just go take it easy. And just that, that's, that's the ultimate goal. I mean, that's, if you can win that in your career, uh, you, what do you do from there? Yeah. I think that's one of the weird things about media nowadays too. Like I feel like whenever anyone wins, I mean, Jason Christie slayed the dragon, won the classic this past year. It wasn't 24 hours, not 24 freaking hours. And I heard people starting to talk about, oh, he could get a few, you know, when does Christie's next classic win? I'm like, can he not breathe? Like, I just think that the media just were so absorbed with records and stand in, you know what I mean? It's like, it's headlines, you know what I mean? And, and I mean, winning one Bassmaster Classic in your career is pretty freaking good. Um, you should at least get 24 hours to enjoy it before the media starts telling you um, when are you going to win another one? Yeah, I would probably try to stay out of that. And just, you know, Hey, that's, that's from me and my friends and my family. Let's enjoy this. Um, because it's, it, it's, yeah, you, you might win five or 10 or a guy might, might do something like that someday. Who knows? But that's just, uh, that's an important moment. You have to realize that's an important moment. You're probably not going to get it uh, more than once in a guy's career. So I think, I think, yeah, that's, I want to block that part of it out. I'll call you in a couple of days right now. I'm just going to soak this in.
Yeah, I could I couldn't imagine what it's it's like to win an event like that. Um, just the amount of like you see the amount of pressure that is on the person instantly, and um, it, it's but it's it's what you dream of, and I and I really would respect a person to do exactly what you said. You know what I mean? Like I just feel like you get these they win the classic and then they're just bombarded with a bajillion like podcasts and everything else out there. I mean, take a minute and soak this in because you know what, those podcasts will still be here in a week <laughs> and it, it, it's, but it's, I think it's bred into a tournament fisherman. You, you, you're so hungry your whole life to get exposure, to get, you know what I mean? That moment that you feel like, well, I've, I've got it. I, I got to do it now. Is that a correct way? Am I reading it right? Yeah. Yeah. You don't want, you don't want to squander that moment uh, because we all, we all have a, you know, a lot of sponsors and things like that to, to endorse and make sure people understand the, the full story. And you certainly want to, wouldn't want to look back on it in, okay, well, a guy could, it, and there's even been a couple guys that have won major events and and they're totally not there. I, I, I say that, you know, I say what I said there that I would want to enjoy it for my friends and my family and myself uh, because it's such an important moment. But at the same time, the media is also what is going to tell your story. And that's also important because um, you, you don't want to win that thing and not um, work, work with the media, certainly not work with the media good enough for, for you to get everything out of it. And I'm not yeah. just talking about financially. I mean, you know, um, it's, it's like we talked about in, in those, those TTBCs, those were big events, but they probably didn't get the exposure that they deserve. Bassmasters class is going to get the exposure. It's going to get whatever you want out of it if you can win it. So yeah, I'd, I'd probably try to find a happy medium, but, but honestly, if you got to understand from a, from a tournament fisherman's perspective i'm talking you know just like i always do just 100 percent what comes out of my head you know um but when you have finished a Bassmasters classic i don't care if you won it or top 10 or you finished you know 20th you should be very tired <laughs> at the end of that third day it's just been a long week and you put a lot in you put a lot into that and like i said it goes back to focus and that that will drain you if you're if you can focus through that practice period all of those off days, meeting days, media days, uh, dinners with your, your friends, sponsors, family, all that stuff, and then go out and fish three days and win that thing, you should be drained completely out. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's an all-encompassing. I mean, the biggest feeling you hear throughout the week is people being like, let's go fishing. Like for there's so many, you know, functions and things you have to be. And that's what it's a celebration. It's like a literal long week. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. You should be exhausted, but don't worry. Don't take my comments as fact, because if you win the classic this year, Keith, I will be telling you, uh, asking you to come on this little podcast at some point so we can talk about it. Um, what's your favorite food? Oh, it's gotta be a real good steak. That's big, like a real nice ribeye or something like that is that's definitely my favorite favorite type of food. I also like, I mean, we, we, we enjoy going north and getting like walleye and things like that too. Um, Northern perch. Those are some of my favorite dishes. All right. Favorite movie. 
uh, my favorite one is uh, Lawless. You you have you seen that? I don't this know is, who's in Lawless. Not, I don't know actors' names, but Lawless. I'll look it up. It's good Watch movie. Yeah, you like? It. Okay, that's it's, it's, it's something I'd like. Okay, favorite favorite song. I don't know if I have a favorite one. Uh, kind of started listening to more like local or not not local, more like Texas, um, like Red Dirt type music, and I'll just listen to that when I'm driving. Kind of. I don't think I have a favorite one, but just any anything in that family. Your uh, your answers are very Texas centric. I mean, it's exactly what I'd expect from a guy. I, I like a ribeye. <laughs> Um, it's uh, I like red dirt country. Yeah. Why do so many great anglers come from your part of the world? Like if you look at the Texas, like, so, and then I don't, there's a specific type of angler like comes from Texas. I feel like, you know, like if I look at you, Kelly Jordan, Lee Livesey, you know what I mean? And there's a lot of others that I'm leaving out. So do not yell at me for it. Todd Faircloth. Some, there is, you've got a very specific, like you, you all specialize in catching giants. You know what I mean? Obviously that's a Texas thing, but there is a, even personality wise, everything that kind of quiet until it's time not to until it's time to make some noise type personality. Um, why, why are so many good anglers from that part of the world? I think, I think you'll, well, there, there, there's a bunch of really good Texas sticks out there for sure. Um, but I, I think there, there's a bunch that grew up in, in my era, just living those, those team tournaments um, and all the guys you just mentioned and a lot more Clark Winlet. I mean, there's list yeah. goes on and on, but uh, yeah, we, you know, we, we were exposed to, it's a big, it's a tradition almost in Texas um lots of tournaments lots of big team events lots of dudes out there fishing those team events and winning them that are just as good and would perform just as well on the elite series as we do but um i think you'll see it change i mean you'll you'll i bet you'll see people from less regional um becoming accomplished you know professionals um just just because so much has changed in the sport but i, I think yeah, it's it was just so much, just like for me having that availability, fish all year long. Uh, there was just a tournament that rolled around, caught my attention, and I got I was all in, probably because of where I live, you know. Uh, but uh, we have a ton of lakes too. That's another thing that uh, so no matter where you grow up in Texas, yeah, there's bass fishing, good bass fishing, very close by. I go to other places, and uh, there it's just not. It's just not like that. There's not as many lakes, or maybe there's one really, one really, really good lake in the whole state. I mean, there's a couple states like that. So, I think we've had a lot of, a lot more opportunity to get exposed to the sport of bass fishing. But that's changing just because of you know live and college fishing things like that. Yeah, I've looked up Lawless while you were talking there, and it's a very the the, the movie poster makes it just seem like you know like it's a. Uh... It's it's a modern day tombstone or something like that, or a modern day remake of type of movie. Like, it's it's is it a western type movie, Keith? Mm -hmm. 
it's like a gangster kind of type movie, but old like Prohibition era. Yeah. Um, but it's got it's got three brothers in it, and they're they're total opposites. And man, they play some bad dudes in that movie. I like it. I'm gonna have to check it out. I'm gonna. I, I feel like I'm. I'm gonna watch it, and then I'll be like, I've seen this movie because I'm an idiot that way. Like when I travel around, I'm like, I don't think I've ever flown into this airport, and then I land, and I'm like, oh no, I remember that place and that place. So uh, there's a good chance I've seen it, but I'm just not. My mind is dominated by statistics about anglers like yourself. I don't. I don't have time for other people's birthdays and movie names. I guess I don't know. Um. One of my favorite things that you do, and I don't know if you're willing to do it for me here today, is, and I've told you before, uh, well, I'm going to ask you because, I mean, it'll make a good ender to this, even if you do hang up. Uh, <laughs> you do an incredible Mark Davis impersonation. Will you adorn the viewers with your Mark Davis? No? I don't know that I can. I don't, I don't know that I can bring it in this, in this, I think it's just I don't know that you can't though. Been too much for me. <laughs> well, it's important. So, okay, like I said, I fo I'll follow everything tournament fishing since I've been 13 years old, and I can remember. So Mark Davis, I grew up in that era where he won Bassmasters Classics AOIs on both sides. He was winning. He was winning on FLW. He was winning on uh, on the Bassmaster. Before it was the Elite Series, uh, kind of like did the same thing Jay Ellis did. I was like, dude, this guy's winning over here. He's winning over here. So Mark was the man, and he's from right over in Arkansas. So, you know, I grew up listening to that dude, winning him, and replaying that. Those, I was DVR and I'm recording him on VHS tapes. Mark Davis catching bass. So I watched a lot of Mark Davis growing up. So that's that's how I learned a imitation. What what would Mark Davis say about this podcast? Well, well, Dave, you know, it's been fun talking to you, but uh, these questions are getting a little old, and I think it's time for me to go. The greatest Mark Davis. You're you're better Mark Davis than Mark Davis. It's so good. It's so good, and dude. Nobody ever sees that side of you. I mean, I really want to, I really just want to do the rest of this podcast as you as Mark Davis. No, nobody's a better, better Mark Davis than Mark Davis. He's the man. And I grew up watching him and envying all of his, uh, all the things he's taught us. He, he really is the man. And I think that Mark Davis would tell you that, I mean, aside from getting a case of the mully grubs, you were straight at that was freaking Mark Davis. And it's one of the most, I mean, how many hours have you done? Have you practiced to become Mark Davis, or was it just you've watched enough of it that you just it happens? Yeah, when you watch it, you watch him winning tournaments all the time. You're like, I kind of like the way that guy talks. <laughs> do you do any other impersonations, or even if you do, you're probably going to say no right now, right? I got to get through this whole Mark Davis thing. I mean, he may beat me up. I don't know. Uh, no. Let's just see how this one goes. No, he'll just be like, Keith, you gave me a case of the money grubs. <laughs> um, it, it can happen. It can happen. It, it can happen. Well, Keith Combs, you are awesome. I appreciate um, 
you doing this with me and uh, i'm really looking forward to seeing you and whatever voice comes out of your mouth when we go to uh, the bassmaster classic it's been fun dave and i appreciate you having me on and uh and i look forward to getting this uh this next season rolling i guess i'll be seeing you for the next time in, in florida before too long. yeah yeah i'll see you there i'll see you there have a good off season right, enjoy hunting and uh Take us out with a little more Mark Davis, please. Just, just one more. Say goodbye to the folks. Tell, oh, here's what Mark Davis would be perfect at. Tell him, tell Bob Cobb to take it away from the Bassmasters. You're not. Bob, take it away. <laughs> so awkward, but so wonderful. Thank you, Keith Gilbs. <laughs> Thanks for watching. Please like, comment, and subscribe because Bob Cobb of the Bassmasters told you to. You hear?